The following podcast is brought to you by the Jonas Podcasting Network, found exclusively at wrestlingwithjonas.com. research johnny i noticed that uh, um your first tv win was against blondie barrett yeah but the match didn't actually air <laughs> is that is that correct well i think what it was it was 82 wasn't it I and mean, it was part of the cup final presentation match and the right. cup final match it was done from croydon fairfield hall and obviously um it was great to be on with Bob on TV. And I thought, well, it was a one-four match. We were on before Shirley was on, but they didn't show it. They, I think they, I know they recorded it because I've actually seen the intro of it. Somebody, one of these historians sent me um, a clip of it. So I saw us both in the corners and I know they recorded, but it was never shown. And the, the cup final match that uh, year was a tag match with, um, Big Daddy and Quick Kick Lee against Crusher Brannigan and Banger Walsh. And they were on after us. So they showed that, but they never showed our match. But yes, that was my first victory, which was about my sixth TV job, I think. That's and I didn't win many. I won a couple, of, I won a tag and I won my very last TV as well. And then there was a uh, a drawn one where we did a double pin. But um, yeah, that was a bit disappointing because I'd, I'd worked with Bob a lot and it would have been nice for us to do one on television that was shown, but unfortunately that one never was, no. Yeah. I, I, I might be jumping around a little bit here, Johnny, but uh, am I right mm. in thinking that uh, all-star promotions would have been classed as opposition back yeah. in the 80s? Yeah, I think you either work for like joint promotions, which was that syndicate of Dale Martin's Best Right and Morel Beresford, um Rowisco and green you know max yeah, there's about eight promotions under joint oh, quite promotions. a few were in that cartel yeah. of joint promotions you know and then the independent they weren't just known as the independent promotions which was obviously brian under another name at one time um and then he, he came to the fore when he came with all-star promotions you know and he ended up being as big if not bigger than than joint so yeah, and, and I think you wrestled um, for yeah. All-Star Promotions yeah. around 1986. Mm -hmm. um, how, how did that affect your relationship with Joint Promotions or Dale Martin Promotions back then? Because I know that it was quite contentious at, at times where you could wrestle for Joint Promotions and mm -hmm. nobody else or yeah. All-Stars and nobody else. Uh, but then kind of almost jumping over to the opposition to All-Stars, was that controversial at the time? Or, you know, what sort of reaction did you get when you did that? in 86 i think what happened was i think there was somebody doing it a long long time ago the only person i know that was doing it was a wrestler called ricky wiseman who came from boston in lincolnshire he tended to work for joint promotions and the opposition quite a lot oh, which was okay. all star and then all of a sudden as i say some of the guys went i can't say the reasons why because i don't know but as you know like mark rocco johnny saint tony sinclair those sort of guys all did go over to all star number of reasons personal and and probably money issues or what i don't know um and then i think brian approached me and asked if i would do one at croydon i was on with jimmy breaks they were just changing things around and i did do that one but i remember after that i had to speak to max crabtree about something or i rang the office about something and he actually spoke to me and his his words were john you you know it's either us or them you know and at the time 
and then gradually after that i realized i i, I managed to do another one and then i'd do a front for joint and then another one and and i think a lot of the guys did in the end they were and i think in the end it just went by the way that if you weren't billed for one and you weren't supposed to be resting for them that day and you had a free day you might you know can't speak really for anyone else but that's how it came about with me but i know so, i say the first job i really did for brian that was billed was with with jimmy breaks again at croydon yeah. and it was a title match yeah i mean i think they were just trying to you know get some names and then build things up well, i mean tony would have been there quinn even was there you know these sort of guys went over rocco went over saint went over you know yeah yeah, absolutely. I know that uh, Tony, in my interview with Tony Sinclair, mm-hmm. goes into uh, detail about his reasons for going yeah. over to yeah. uh, to All Stars. So uh, check that one out if you want to know Tony's reasons. Yeah. But uh, yeah. you mentioned uh, Shirley Crabtree, Big Daddy, yeah. um, and that uh, you you did team with him on a number of occasions and uh, TV matches as well. What was your experience of working with Shirley, working with Big Daddy, in particular? You know his personality and especially getting to team with him in the ring what sort of relationship did you have um i'll say he's hugely popular in the 80s a, a big larger than life character um he was like uh the the british version or equivalent of hulk hogan you could yeah, say exactly. um, but uh, i'd say you got to know shirley very well and, and worked with him quite a bit uh give us your kind of insight um and experience of working with him in the 80s well, I think my first job with Shirley, believe it or not, was again probably down your way. It was at Cheltenham at the town hall. It was a Monday night, and it was uh, I got there. I didn't know who I was going to be on with, and I saw my name, little letters, big daddy, big letters, and my name partnered by Johnny Kidd, little letters, against Mal Kirk and uh, Ian Muir. So I thought, oh, you know, I'd never been with Shirley before. I'd seen him obviously, but never tagged, and it was fine. And then. I never had a problem with him, you know, did quite a few together. He had regular part. His regular partner at the time when I first started was Jackie Turpin. Jackie seemed to be with him everywhere. And then Danny Collins had a good spell with him, Steve Gray, you know, and then he did have some some heavyweight guys with him when they did a tag. I mean, I've seen him tag with Pete Roberts against like Haystacks and, and Mal Kirk. I've seen him tag with Johnny Wilson people like that but it was usually the smaller guys like myself steve gray that would be partnering him against the two heavies obviously but yeah um it was what it was in the day i mean the crowd loved it didn't they and you could always guarantee that when you got to a hall and and he was on there was never an empty hall it didn't matter what you thought of the man the halls were always packed no one would say what's the house like tonight it was always packed you knew yeah um, Obviously, yeah. that was his thing. You mentioned TVs. The only I did do two TVs with him, but they were not shown down here. They were shown in Scotland for Grampian TV and Scottish television. And that was in 91 when it come off of uh, the mainstream TV in 88. Shirley carried on and there was two of those that were done up there. Um, and that was, believe it or not, the biggest crowd I'd wrestled in front of. On the Friday, the same venue, it was at Aberdeen. And on the Friday night, they had 1,100 people in. And on the Saturday night, 1,200. And that was yeah. a big crowd. I, I was with Shirley both times there. But it was a, a fair bill. You know, Haystacks was there. Andy Robin, the, the Scottish heavyweight, was on the show. Danny Collins was on the show. Greg Valentine, Ian McGregor. Um, but they were just shown up on Scottish and Grampian TV. They weren't shown on the regional TVs down down here. Yeah. 
and, and teaming with Daddy, um, mm -hmm. I'm guessing that you probably would have had would have been in the ring and, and uh, gone up against uh, Haystacks, Giant yeah. Haystacks. Um, yeah, a few uh, times. What, what was what was he like? Because I mean, yeah. I've seen him in the flesh a couple of times yeah. when he came to the Oxford Town Hall back in the nineties when I was mm -hmm. a, a younger fan, and uh, he was a, a, a legit monster of a man, touching seven foot, easily forty stone. And when he got close to you, kind of cowered backwards a little bit. But to, mm -hmm. to be in there with the big man, with the great man, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you knew when, like, all of a sudden, you're being worked over, and then you you you're on the floor, and you you could hear the crowd screaming. So you thought, right, the partner of Haystacks has obviously brought him in now, so you know he's going to be in the next thing. You get the whack on the back of the head, or the throw you into the corner and the squash. Yes, you felt him. You felt him. You know when he hit you, you're bound to feel someone like that. Or when you're on the floor and he's standing on you. Um, I think with him. I got the splash, you know, when he used to do what daddy did. I don't think I ever got that elbow drop, but I did get the splash with Haystacks. Um, but no, he was fine, to be honest. You know, I mean, um, you speak as you're fine, don't you? And I found he was always okay with me. There were some good opponents in those days on that side. You know, there were some big men. Mal Kirk was, was great. Um, but my favourite, if I had a favourite that opposed us, was always... A guy called Johnny Howard, who wrestled as wrestling Rasputin. Lovely guy. And every time we did the tag, if John was on that side, it was like a night off for me, to be honest, because John was really great. He was um, a funny guy to be around as well, in and out of the ring. Drew McDonald, another one, really funny guy to, to work with. Drew, Sid, you know, Sid was more my size, so you could get a little bit of a, game, uh, a match going with Sid before Shirley came in and did his thing. Um, but yeah, there were some good guys in those tags, you know, really good guys. And obviously every so often there'd be a mask man against you. And obviously the mask would come off somewhere in the match at the end when daddy would rip it off or whatever. But again, no, Shirley was always okay with me. And, um, I used to call him Shirley as well. <laughs> did he appreciate that? Or did he, would, would, would he prefer? Would he? Would he have preferred Daddy? I don't know. What was the? I don't kind of know really. You know, <laughs> I'd say to him, "Oh, hello, Shirley," or or whatever, and he, he just he didn't really say much about it. I never found him to be. He was never awkward with me. I know he was awkward with some people. Definitely, yeah. you speak as you find, as I say, and I know that one or two had. You know, you could be funny with people, but I was fine with it. So. Yeah. And what about Robbie Brookside? Because I understand yeah. that you teamed with Robbie. I think it was what you called the Young Ones, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And you had a, a few tag matches with him in kind of the early to mid 80s. Um, obviously, we know that uh, you two went on and uh, had a fabulous career. You, you fought each other many times through the 90s and in the early 2000s as well as, as opponents. But as a tag team in the 80s, uh, what do you remember about teaming with Robbie? Yeah, I teamed with Robbie a few times. Obviously, that was before he was a regular partner with Doc when they went on to better things. Um, I would be against someone like Blondie, obviously, and Bobby Barnes, people like that when I was with Robbie. But you're right. I think I probably wrestled Robbie more than I tagged with him, though. Yeah, yeah. And it was Robbie, really, down to Robbie Brookside, I think, that I went first to, to Germany in 2004. Um, they, I wrestled Robbie in Wigan, and um, a German promoter, Tony Sinclair, would know this guy, I should think. He was a promoter of WXW, uh, Felix Kohlenberg. And he asked me if I would go over to Germany and wrestle one of their guys. And I said to Robbie, oh, I know this promotion and I, I don't think it's my sort of thing, Rob, is it? And he said, no, you'll be fine. And I went over there and I was on with a guy called Claudio Castagnoli. 
-hmm. who went on to become Antonio Cesaro. And Claudio, believe it or not, loved that British style of wrestling. So I went to Germany and I wrestled him, uh, completely technical sort of stuff. And he'd got a green card at the time and he was just going to go to the States and they wanted him to go off as their champion, WXW. And that's what we did. We did the match and he went over there and he went on to better things as Antonio Cesaro. But I believe now he's back to being Claudio Castagnoli, um, you know, and I say I wish him well because he was a, a really good guy to, to wrestle. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's had a phenomenal career and still doing great things. Yeah. Um, but uh, World of Sport came to an end in late 1988. Um, yep. And obviously, I, I think that there were various reasons why that happened. Um, but I know that American wrestling was really kind of uh, taking the UK by storm going into the early 90s, maybe late 80s, early 90s. Um, obviously, WWF were touring more um, in the 90s, early 90s. Um, and like I say, World of Sport ended in 88. Um, but uh, how did you think, how do you think the UK scene, uh, and more importantly, UK talent kind of dealt with those changes of no longer being on the TV and having more of an Americanized presence um, at, the, at the UK shows. And, and, and how did you feel about that? Well, you're right. When it came off in 88, it was mainly because the viewing figures were going down and down. World of Sport mm. was no longer a four o'clock afternoon show. When World of Sport finished, wrestling had its own slot, didn't it? And it was going on any time, 12.30, 1.30, lunchtime. Not a good time for wrestling because people would be out shopping, yeah. you know, and they were the, the the figures went right down. So you know the story with Greg Dyke. He decided to to take wrestling off. Um, yeah, you have to feel for the lads coming in after that period because you know once you're seen on that television, you're you know you're you're in the hall that night and you're wrestling. But it's not to those people really. It's to the thousands that are watching on television, and they're the ones that see you. So. You might be on television that afternoon and then you'd go to a hall that night and someone would say, I saw him on television this afternoon. So you need that shop window, don't you, of television. And I think when that came away, a lot of the up and coming stars and that lost all that. You know, they weren't like as widely known around as we were at the time or yeah. the guys before me, you know. Um but saying that, the American stuff had been around for years anyway. It's just sure. that we never got to see it. You know, in the days of Abdullah the Butcher and the Sheik and people, I used to know of these guys and I used to have these magazines and I could see what they were doing, but it wasn't needed over here. And then, obviously, when we finished, they started showing some more of the American stuff. Um, and all the youngsters then started getting into that a little bit more, I think. Mm. And I've always said it, you know, that things have to progress. Things move on. Max Crabtree once told me nothing lasts forever. And he, he was right in that way. Um, but it's just if you if you saw a young lad in the street and you said to him, can you name me 10 British wrestlers? He couldn't, but he could name you 10 American wrestlers you know, because they were brought up more on that. And in our day, you wouldn't get kids of 14, 15, 16 going to wrestling and that. It wasn't, they just didn't do it, did they? These days, it's the other way around. You get more younger people than I think you get the mums and dads, your grandparents, my grandparents, suits and ties watching you. It seemed to have come away from that now. Yeah. Um, but that's what it's about now. You know, that is the market for it. Um, and that's how it's gone. 
Did, did you feel any pressure at the time to maybe uh, adapt or change your style at all? Because you, you've been very true to your traditional British style mm. all the way through your career. But when the UK shows were becoming a bit more Americanized, yes, you mm -hmm. had your UK guys on there. Yes, you had your, your Danny Boy Collins and various mm. others uh, that I remember seeing as a youngster, Oxford Town Hall. Yeah. But, but then you had like the fake Undertaker and the fake Legion of mm. Doom would be on these shows. Um, but did you, was there any pressure for you to maybe adapt or change your style to fit in with the changing no. circumstances? No, I don't think so. But then you've got to think we were all older then. I mean, the guys that are doing that sort of stuff are younger than me. You know, and I can't, I think it's very difficult trying to adapt to something like that. You know, I often used to speak to different wrestlers and say, is it harder to be a, a blue eye or a villain? Is it easier to switch from a, a face to a heel or is it easier to switch? From? I think it's always harder for the heels to switch as a face. You know, I think if you're a um, a face wrestler sort of thing, a blue eye wrestler, and you can like go on with someone and, and throw a few punches in, it might be a lot easier than like a heel trying to put a technical hold on, you know, I don't know. But there has been some successful transitions in my day. As you know, Brian Maxine went from being a, a villain to a, a, a real good baby face, but he was always, to me, better as a villain. Alan Dennison, another one, went from being a villain to you know a face and um, they changed it but um no I, I will be honest with you and say i couldn't do hardly any of that stuff that these guys do today you know but then you've got to think will some of these guys be still wrestling in their 50s well there you go there you go and i think i've got a quick answer to that one but uh for sure um and, and were you always a baby face uh yeah mainly you? yes i think that's how it started off you know obviously my first match with jack mulligan he was known as a heel my second match i was on with a guy called Derek collins he was a heel and then i went on from there with different people and they always seem to be the heels bobby barnes i was on with sid cooper blondie people like that and then when you got on with the johnny saints you would be the wrestling match on the program yeah. there might be three other villain matches and you and you thought well that's good we're the wrestling match we're in a good spot here and that's it and they did take wrestling in those days the halls like the wrestling matches today it's probably not the same if you put four sort of johnny saint Steve Gray matches on a show, the people would probably not want to see that. One match you might get away with, but today it's very difficult for them to sit through that when they've seen everything else, if you know what I mean. Mm. And I briefly mentioned to you uh, before we started recording about uh, mm. the, the 90s. Um, yeah. And according to my research, um, I think you wrestled sporadically throughout that decade yeah. um is that correct and if so was there a, a conscious decision from yourself to kind of uh pull back your schedule a little bit not wrestle yeah. too much or were, were there other factors well i think for a start what it was i mean my job i um i changed my job halfway although i was still with Vauxhall motors i um left the factory in 85 and I went to after sales, which was the spares department where we distributed all the spares for the Vauxhall dealers around uh, the UK and Europe. And I wanted to then work um, day shift so that I could wrestle at night. But in the end, we were doing both. And I found when I was on nights, I wasn't going to take time off to go wrestling and that because it was more awkward for me to do that. So I would try and just do an odd job at a weekend or something like that. And then when you think... Um, getting older like now we're all getting older but i thought no um yeah that was probably my choice just to cut down and again 
um, if people came to you and asked you to do something, you know, with the main promoters going, with with joint promoters go, going, Brian Dixon had his own sort of crowd and his own men that he would use regular, and new stars coming in, talent from abroad coming in. Um, I was quite happy with that, just to do one here and one there. And again, for me, it wasn't the be-all and end-all because I had a full-time job, and I carried that job on for 40 years until I retired uh, in 2017. Mm, so that the, the full-time job was my my money paid for the house the mortgage and things the wrestling was like an escapism really from a, a nine-to-five job if you like and seeing the boys and doing something like that you know yeah. but for me it wasn't just wrestling and nothing else i yeah. had the job and the wrestling was as i say the escapism really yeah, and the, the 2000s came around, and certainly mm -hmm. from 2003, 2004, you appeared to be as busy as ever, Johnny. Yeah. You were wrestling across the UK, wrestling in Germany, wrestling in Holland, um, and wrestling against, uh, you know, some legends from back in the day, you know, the, the likes of Mel Sanders, Steve Grimm, yeah. Robbie Brooks, yeah, like Blondie yeah. Barrett, Drew McDonald, many others, kind of, yeah. it's almost like, you guys from the 80s had a resurgence in the mm -hmm. 2000s and mid 2000s you even had some tremendous battles um with, with people that were just coming onto the scene that would eventually become big names like colt cabana doug yeah. williams johnny storm joel redmond mark haskins and many more it almost felt like your career um had a resurgence during the 2000s and so did british wrestling I think what happened there, that was, again, a little way down to Blondie Barrett, the Rock and Roll Express, because what happened was he was doing a lot of work for a guy, a promotion in the Midlands called, um, I don't know what the promotion was called, but the guy who ran it was Klondike Jake. And Klondike Jake was putting a lot of shows on all over the place, you know, and I mean a lot, like every night. And then he'd have a tour in Scotland. And Bob asked me if I'd do one. And I think it was somewhere at, at Warsaw or something on a Friday. And then after that, Jake asked me if I'd be interested in doing a few. So I used to book my holidays around it. And when we went to Scotland, we might start on a Friday. I'd have a week's holiday and we'd finish the following Sunday. And it was good work for Jake. And obviously Blondie was there. And that's where, obviously, you said to me, the fake Undertaker and the you know these others came into it. Um, and we were doing these shows. They weren't all tribute shows. They, those guys were on, but then me and Blondie was on them and Johnny South might have been on and, and Ricky Knight, Roy Knight, um, people like that were on the shows. And we did really well out of that, you know, and that seemed to go on and on. And I kept a record. And if I look, there was a, a complete list for those years working for Klondike Jake. Yeah, you're right. So that was down to Bob that brought me back into that for a little while. Yeah, a bit of um, a boom time. Yeah, but, uh, please continue. No, I was going to say Colt Cabana. I wrestled him twice and once in America, obviously, when Quackenbush took us over there. Colt was great because I, I wrestled him for John Fremantle at uh, Potter's Bar the first time. And I remember going there and I thought, oh, Colt Cabana, never heard of him. And John Fremantle said, if he does too much comedy, try and go back to the technical style. And I thought, an American doing comedy? I've never heard of that. <laughs> and he was really good, Colt Cabana. And believe it or not, I don't know how we got it, but the viewer or the readers of One Stop Wrestling, which was run by Chris Hatch in those days, voted our match the best match of the year. <laughs> and believe it or not, when I wrestled Colt, everything clicked. You know, when you do something and everything fell into place and went yeah. right and unbelievable, you know, and I'd never wrestled him before. And it was a really good match with Colt Cabana. Mark Haskins, I believe I wrestled in 
I think that was in Germany, actually. It I was in Germany, yeah, WXW, I believe. It was, yes. It was Mark I wrestled there. Um, Tremendous match. I can't, you know, I remember uh, wrestling Mark there. They brought me over because I was doing, uh, they had me over there a few times. I, I was over, not, I think the last time I was over there, I was on with a guy called Axel Dieter Jr., yeah, which is the great Axel Dieter. Now, he's gone on to bigger things. He's in WWE now, yeah. And I wrestled Finley, obviously, when Dave um, left the WWE for a little while and started doing a couple in, um, well, he toured around. He did some in Europe. Then he went back there and they asked me if I'd go on with Dave Finley in, um, in Germany and I wrestled him there. It was on part of that 16-carat tournament. He'd been eliminated by Johnny Moss and the next day, I was on with him just in an ordinary world of sport match. And we, it was so easy with Dave, you know, yeah. um, I don't know if that was the last time I, I was there. I think it wasn't. I think the actual detail was probably the last one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, some of those guys you've mentioned, yeah, I was lucky. I mean, Drew was always great to work with, obviously didn't have a problem with any of them. It, you know, you just, you just do it in the end. You just go on and, and you do it. Yes, absolutely. And we've spoken a bit about Mike Quackenbush. Yep. Uh, obviously, uh, he founded and ran uh, Shikara. Um, but uh, when did you first come across Mike? Uh, because I think that was when he was over here, possibly a German tour as well. I met Mike in 2004 in Germany, in Essen for WXW. And that is when they took me over there to wrestle Castagnoli. Uh, so I went over there and Mike was there on that show and that's how we got talking and we got chatting and kept in contact. And Mike obviously then at the time said, would you ever be interested in coming over to America? And when you hear that, you think, yeah, is that ever going to happen? You know, but it did. And Mike wanted myself and he wanted two other world of sport wrestlers to do the King of Trios. So he wanted three of us. So at the time he wanted Steve Gray and Johnny Saint and myself. Well, Steve Gray was suffering with a bad back injury. He couldn't go. So Mike said, obviously, I can't bring you over, just two of you. Is there anybody else? So we tried to get Jimmy Brakes. Um, he couldn't get him. Robbie Brookside would have been good, but Robbie was not really at the middle of the world of sport era. Sure. You know, so he couldn't find anybody else to get. So he said, well, I'll bring you and John over at some point. And he did. And he took us over there in 2011. And uh, it was great. You know, I wrestled John on the first night. And the next night we did a tag with um, Cabana and myself against Mike Quackenbush and John. Just to show them the, the style of British wrestling, which they, they appreciated, you know, seeing. Yeah. Um, and I've always kept in touch with Mike. When he came over here, he did a tour over here. I think he did something with um, a Wolverhampton-based promotion. And he run one of his tours here. And I wrestled him here and I wrestled him in Manchester and in Wolverhampton. We did one match there and then we did another one. Um, and then in Germany as well, I wrestled him there. But um, it'd be good to, to see Mike again, obviously. Um, he runs his own promotion, Shikara, as you know, in Philadelphia. Don't know what he's doing at the moment. I do know uh, some time ago he was down in Florida. He was down with the WWE. He had a, a stint down there training them. But I think he always wanted to stay with Shikara. I don't think he would ever want to give that up and go permanently down there and say, I can't really say because I don't know what he's doing until we tie up again and we'll have a, a good conversation. I always get a Christmas card from Mike. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, yeah, top guy looks like Shikara, such a wonderful promotion. Um, but uh, did they, well, they did a uh, Johnny Kid invitational to yeah. Shikara, and now I think they did it over two years, I could be mistaken, but 2017 and 2018, where some of the most technically gifted profession yeah. wrestlers. Uh, in that promotion and maybe from outside of Shikara took part in one night tournaments on those yeah. two years named in your honor. So obviously Mike Quackenbush, uh, a huge fan of the traditional British style, a huge fan of mm. yours and Johnny Saints and the like. Um, and uh, let's say did these two tournaments, 2017 and 2018 in your honor, Johnny Kidd Invitational. Uh, that, that must've been pretty special for you. Yeah, to hear well, that. well he, he, he asked me first if I'd mind, him using that name for one of his tournaments. I said, no, go ahead, Mike. You know, and he, he had like so many men in it. And one of the men was from here was James Mason. So James Mason went over and then he said to me, would you come over and present the prize? So obviously, believe it or not, I flew out on the Saturday and flew back on the Sunday. James Mason was actually on the show in the tournament and he was on with one yes. of the guys there. Obviously he didn't get through. Um, but he came over with us. We flew out on different planes, but we flew back on the same plane coming back. James had a different route out. And Mike took us over for that. Yeah, yeah. Mike's always been interested in that technical style. I've seen some matches of him. I saw one with him with a guy called Jigsaw. I don't know if you know that yeah, name. Yeah, indeed. Unbelievable. And I, I, there was a, a spot they did, and I, I'll have to ask Mike to show me how he does it because I kept fast-forwarding it and stopping it and seeing how they did the routine. But they did it so smoothly. It was unbelievable, you know. And I say, yeah, Mike, you know, is something to watch to me. I mean, he can – but he can fly about as well, you know. I mean, I've seen Mike do different stuff. And, I mean, I think, oh, how's he done that, you know. But like yeah. everything, I think he said he slows up a little bit now. He doesn't do so much as he did. But that happens to all of us, doesn't it? Indeed, you know? indeed. Uh, I think you said earlier on that you'll be seeing Mike uh, yeah. in April when he comes over to uh, Arcadian Wrestling. So it would be great well, for the two of you to catch up. Well, he's coming over. I believe he comes over on the Wednesday, somewhere around about the 26th of April. And uh, the show that we're going to do is on the Friday, the 28th of April. And then he's doing two training sessions for Arcadian uh, on the Saturday morning, four-hour session, and on the Sunday morning, four-hour session. So all I can say, if anybody is interested in going to have a look at that, get in touch with Arcadian Wrestling, book your spot, because Mike is is so good at that sort of stuff. I will be there on the first day to watch what he does, um, see if I can pinch anything off him. But, um, yeah, I will. it'll be good to catch up with Mike. And it, it's definitely going to happen because I know he's got his airfare ticket already to come over. He flies into Heathrow and then he flies up to Newcastle. Brilliant. So it'd be good to see him. Absolutely. And and uh, I understand you've got a bit of a history in being a coach and a trainer yourself. Is that right, Johnny? Well, I don't, I can't say I'm a, an actual coach. What I do, some of these um, wrestling companies do ask me to come along and show some stuff, you know, um, and I've done that. Um, I was recently down with Joel Redman uh, at his school in Salisbury two weeks ago, and he asked me to come down and we run through some basic stuff. And he likes just to show as well, just the, the basic like counters to things and escapes and how to, you know, um, put holds on and things like that, that maybe people wouldn't use so much in a match, but it's just something different that they've never seen before. Oh, Joel's and, tremendous. You know, he really is tremendous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Joel. I mean, he he warmed them up there and then we did that. Um, 
I've done a few of those, you know, where I've gone to different places. I did one in Arcadia and I was lucky enough. I went over to Ireland. I did one there recently with a guy called Nathan Hoy uh, with his school. Um, we did one there. So, yeah, that sort of thing appeals to me. But, you know, the, a lot of the guys like that. Well, I say like that. They like that sort of stuff. But there's no amateur wrestling clubs around anymore. It doesn't seem to be any amateur. So, a lot of the guys when they come into wrestling come straight into that stuff, you know, mm. and no one can say that, Oh yes, I've done a couple of years amateur. And our day, that was the thing. Everyone seemed to have had a grounding in amateur wrestling or some sort of combat sport before they came into pro wrestling. But these days they, they seem to be very well. Uh, they can adapt very well. These people, you know, yeah. um, they've either got it and you can't really say they've got it or they haven't. It's usually they've got it. They've got it, you know, I haven't seen anybody come into wrestling really and thought they haven't got it. You know, yeah. everyone seems to have an idea of what, you know, um, yeah. but they've got to be trained correctly. And I think you never stop learning in this game. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, when I saw Quackenbush do a simple move, I thought I've never seen that. And I've been wrestling all that time. And, you know, I do watch others and I think, Oh yeah, that was good. How did they do that? You know, you look at things. Um, but again, you need the right people for those technical sort of matches. You do need the right people to go on with to get yeah, absolutely. a match that, you know, knows your stuff and you can feed around them and work around them, you know? Absolutely. And uh, as we kind of get to the end of this uh, Legends Masterclass with, with Johnny Kidd, um, if you were to give me a, a small list of some of your favourite opponents then, Johnny, that, that, that you absolutely adored getting in the ring with back in the day or more recent times, uh, do, do you have a, a list of maybe two or three of your favourite opponents because of the chemistry you might have had or um, just the fun you had in the ring? Uh, who would you say? Well, there's been so many, so it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Obviously, I, I, have to mention, I have to mention Blondie, first of all, because we had so many matches. And even if he was here now, we could probably go through something without even thinking about it, you know. But that's how you are when you're, like, married to each other. That's yeah. how it was. We knew each other's work. So Inside he was all, always yeah. a good opponent. And obviously, as you know, he's had a varied career because he did five years tagging with the legendary Kendo Nagasaki. So we had a lot of work with Kendo over the, the years as well. But it seemed to take a bit away from Bob being a solo performer, you know, and I think after that finished, he wanted to get back into his thing to show what he could do. Rather, it'd be like me being with Shirley all the time and you're not putting your, your own thing forward, you're, you're with somebody else. So he was always one. Steve Gray, Johnny Saint, those sort of people for that, that sort of stuff. James Mason. Um, always, I mean, James is unbelievable for me. I mean, I would go on with James six nights a week if I could because he's, yeah. he's just so gifted. Dean, I've only wrestled, I think I've only wrestled Dean really once that I can remember, but that was fine. Doug Williams is another one. Zaber, I have wrestled him, he was good. Mel Sanders, of course, because Mal can, Mal can get a crowd going by just looking at someone, you know. Sid was always good. There's been so many of them, really. Um, Zoltan Boschik was a perfect worker you know in the day for a lightweight guy he was really something as well yeah, um, yeah absolutely but most of them i can't say that i've gone on with anyone and i thought no that's not really you know for me most of the guys uh, are okay you know don't have a problem and i said there's been so many but those ones do come to mind saint as i say um i've wrestled saint a few times and i mean i've always enjoyed those matches because you know you know what john was and how how good he was so 
Yeah, yeah. and I've seen him in a, a training video at Marty's training yeah. school. And yeah. uh, Johnny Tank still still likes to get in there and get involved. Yeah. And uh, yeah, hell of a guy, hell of a guy. But uh, as you quite rightly corrected me at the beginning of this podcast, uh, you are still sixty-seven, not sixty-eight yet. Um, September's how, my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> how how much longer do you want to continue then? Well, the thing was, as I said to you, I'm, I'm retired now from my normal job. So you do something, don't you? I still go to mm. the gym. I, I joined the gym a little while ago and I go three times a week to the gym, not for heavy weight lifting. I will add to all the uh, wrestlers watching this. It's just the cardio side of stuff. Yeah. So I can keep going, you know, and do that. And there was a wrestler the other week. I, I was on with a guy called Phil Powers. And Phil said to me, oh, you, you run me off my feet. You're blowing me up and all that, you know. And it had to make me laugh. And Phil will laugh at that when he hears it, if he sees this, because he said that to me. He said, how do you keep going like that? But it's what you what you are, I think. And I'm not one for really laying on the settee and watching television. I do like to travel. But when I travel, it's not really wrestling related. It's for, you know, personal reasons and personal things. You know, I go out and see different people. Um, but I do like the gym work. I do meet people down there, obviously, and it's just cardio stuff that I do, like I said to you. But it's it's hard to say because, like, the Quackenbush thing, that come about, I knew nothing about it. Mm. David actually said about getting him over. And then I thought, yeah, get him over. He might want to do the training stuff. And he said, would you go on with him? So I thought, well, yes, I will do that because it should be relatively um, easy, I hope, technically-wise for me, because there'll be none of that big bumping around and throwing each other all over the no high spots <laughs> well the, the high spot might be yeah, there might be one or two mike does do some some stuff and you know he, he's a safe worker i like mike yeah. as i say any of those guys any of those guys from from back in the day were really you never worried about any of them you knew that they were all competent and they could all do that game and obviously a lot of them were more experienced than me when i started and you felt like you know, I was never worried about anybody I went on with, to be yeah. honest with you. Um, probably the same today with even these new guys. I mean, I, I spoke with uh, Joey Scott this morning and I thought I might see him again at some point, but he's he's going off on a short holiday soon, so I won't see Joey. But I've wrestled him and he's very good and he does some high-flying stuff as well. Um, yeah. All of these guys, you know, Alan Lee Travis, as I say, and um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. No problem. Absolutely. And, and final thing for me, yeah. um, I think a few years back, you got inducted into the, the British Wrestling Hall oh, of yeah. Fame, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that must kind of be the icing on the cake to a, a fantastic and glorious career. Uh, must be a very proud moment for you to have been recognised and inducted into yeah. that Hall of Fame, Johnny. Yeah, I think it was because I used to attend that wrestling reunion in Kent every year. I started the first one in 2002. I went down. It was, I think, one of my biggest, um, you know, things that really pleased me was getting an award, Lifetime Achievement Award to Wrestling from Mick McManus. Um, when I knew I was going to get it, I spoke to the, the late Frank Reimer and I said to Frank, if someone's presenting it, any chance Mick could do it or Johnny Saint? And he said, well, Mick tends to arrive, but go very early. You know, he doesn't stay long, but I'll see. And he actually got Mick to do it. And I've got that picture. Mick presented me with the award and I've had it framed and it's on the wall in my hallway out here. Uh, Mick was really my idol. So that was one moment I'll always look back on. Obviously, the TV shows I did, I enjoyed all those. The tags with Daddy and they were good. You know, there's nothing I can... But that one moment, yeah, the Lifetime Achievement Award means that, you know, you have been recognized by the fellow pros and sadly as you say 
there's less and less of us around now. Um, you know, but I always think, I always remember the words finally on uh, one of the old-time wrestlers, a guy called Mel Stewart, who came from Kent. And I spoke to Mel Stewart one night and he said to me, you've always got to remember you was always in this game when it was good. And he was dead right. I was lucky because I was in at a good time in wrestling in those days. Late 70s, early 80s were very good. And, you know, at least I can look back on that and say, yeah, that was a good time for me. Houses were good. The boys were good. And I enjoyed it. There yeah. we go. Well, I think uh, on that note, there's probably no greater way to end this uh, um, fantastic interview with uh, Mr. Smooth, Johnny mm. Kidd. But uh, Johnny Kidd, I want to thank you so much for being a, an amazing guest on this episode of Legends thank Masterclass. You, and thank you for your time, my friend. Thank you, John. And um, I hope to listen to your next one, whoever that's going to be, because I wow. do like I did listen to the one with Tony. Funny thing, I never wrestled tony because obviously he was a heavyweight but i did do a tag with him and i don't think he'll remember it it was up in spalding at an old cinema and we tagged against a guy called the bulk who was terry thomas a big guy from and sid cooper but i don't think tony will remember that but that was my one i think and only time i tagged with tony I'm sure when Tony watches this back, he'll be able to let us know uh, if he remembers that. But uh, Johnny Kidd, thank you thank so you. much for your time. Thank you. Thank you, John. 